Jesus says to the disciples, then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a shout, Look, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all of those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, No, there will not be enough for you and for us. You'd better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were, went to buy it, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the other bridesmaids came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, Truly, I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In what have been confusing and polarized times politically, which surely contributed to the deepening of confusions and polarizations pandemically as well as racially, all of which together, in too many cases, have led to divisions relationally and fearful anxieties personally. Two of our readings for today, at least, from Amos and Matthew, at first glance anyway for sure, seem neither to heal nor calm nor help anyone's anxieties or fears, but rather to pile on with even more things to be anxious and fearful about. Amos does so by telling those who called themselves God's favored people, who every week put on their Sunday best to worship God, and when they worship, they like to talk about how much they longed for the full and final coming of God in the, in the fullness of God's glory and righteousness, but who nevertheless all the while ran around selfishly and exploitively ignoring the desires of God in their daily lives, that they had best start singing a different tune soon. I'm getting louder because Amos is a loud book. Because unless they left behind their self-absorbed ways in favor of justice and righteousness, especially for the poor, the poor being those whom the God of the Bible in fact favors, the coming of Almighty God in the fullness of God's holiness and righteousness isn't going to be something they ought to run around saying they were looking forward to. For in your case, Amos said, that ain't the case. Because for you, that's not going to be a bright day. That's going to be a dark day. As the bright light of God's, of God's righteousness, that is perfect righteousness, will shine then with condemning justice, judgment as it exposes your self-absorbed and, and exploitive and unrepentant sin. And that won't end well for you, Amos said. For God, Amos said, does not just dislike. God despises. God hates the worship services and the worship practices of those whose lives outside of worship do not in any way whatsoever rhyme with the priorities of the God whom you worship. It is Amos's conviction, in other words, 
that those who, for today example, pray a prayer like the Lord's Prayer and a petition like the petition, Your will be done, are called in their daily lives to be about the will of God actually being done in them for others and most especially for those in need. As in the book of James, in other words, but way louder and tons angrier, Amos reminds us that faith without works is not faith at all. And worship without service is not worship at all. And repentance without striving after change is not repentance at all. And loving God without caring for others is not loving God at all. Lutherans, of course, thank God, are bold to remind the world that there surely is amazing grace to wrap around it all. But books like Amos and James, and for that matter, Lutherans like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, do nevertheless remind us all not to let amazing grace be trivialized into cheap grace as though the God who forgives sinners does not also hate sin to hell. And that's how that goes. If you're looking for warm fuzzies, don't be looking to Amos. You won't find them. And then shall we have the gospel reading for today, which on one hand, of course, inspires, it's the birth text of this wonderful um, kind of early, early 20th century gospel, bluesy kind of gospel song, keep your lamps trimmed and burning, keep your lamps trimmed and burning, keep your lamps trimmed and burning, the time is drawing nigh, keep your lamps trimmed and burning, keep your lamps trimmed and burning, keep your lamps trimmed and burning, cause the world is almost Done. Now, on one hand, it's a great old gospel song based on Matthew's parable, but of course the song does remind us that this parable is actually about the end of the world when Jesus comes again in the clouds, says Paul. And this almost also gets a little bit disconcerting if you try to picture it. It says the in the clouds, says Paul, as, as heaven's archangels shout and heaven's trumpets sound and bodies of the saved burst out of graves to join with those who are still living, then together to meet Jesus in the sky and be taken to heaven if, that is, says the parable, you are one of those who is prepared for his coming, otherwise that day won't end well for you. It's a difficult parable, not only because parts of it are difficult to understand, but difficult also because some of the things in it that you think you maybe do understand are way difficult to deal with because they don't sound much at all like the Jesus you thought you understood like the fact that Jesus, you thought you understood, would either, would either have told the wise bridemaids who had oil for their lamps to share some 
with the foolish bridesmaids, or he would have said to the foolish bridesmaids who didn't have oil for their lamp, come to the party anyway, because I died for the forgiveness of your lack of oil. Or when the foolish finally did arrive after going back in and getting some oil, he would have welcomed him the same way, the same way in another parable of his. The father welcomed the prodigal. He just said, I'm so glad you came back. He just said, he just said come on in. The party just wasn't even the same without you. We, we needed you here. But that's not how this actually kind of dark story goes because nobody shares with anybody. The kingdom of heaven is like that. And those who were unprepared for his coming and thus ran into town for more oil when he came, when they came back, came to find out that they'd been locked out, left out, left behind. Which, whatever we know for sure, we surely don't want to be one of those people, right? So we surely want to heed the message of this parable by keeping our lamps trimmed and burning, keeping our lamps trimmed and burning, keeping our lamps trimmed and burning, so we're not going to turn out to be one of those who are locked down and left out and left behind. Which means in the language of this parable that it's important for us to be wise, not foolish, but having enough oil on our hands for our lamps. Which means the heck what, do you suppose? Well, as it turns out, people don't agree. Some of the disagreements are actually denominational, where some who are Lutherans are convinced that the oil we need enough of as we wait for the bridegroom to return is faith, because it's the only thing that will get you into the kingdom of heaven. You cannot get into heaven without it, while others are certain that the oil we need enough of as we wait for Jesus to return is a full storehouse of good works that we've done, for you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven without them. And then we argue, is keeping oil in your lamp so Jesus finds you ready when he gets here? A matter of faith or works? Matter of believing or doing? Matter of giving Jesus your heart or giving Jesus a hand? A very helpful commentary I read this week by, uh, by Dirk Lang. By the way, I like that there's a theologian named Dirk. Just, I think the church needs one. You know, we're on uh, Luther Seminary's work, working preacher Bible, uh, study, Bible study site said um, one thing that needs to be left behind are those kinds of simplistically bipolar worldviews. By which I think he meant that we need to stop dividing into these my way or the highway camps like faith versus works. Because you know what, Lutherans? Deal with this. Good works matter to God. And you know what? Non-Lutherans, deal with this. There's no good work you've ever done, ever will do, or ever could do that will get you into, earn you into heaven. And both of those troops, tr uh, truths are absolutely biblical. And so we need to talk about them together, not across theologically partisan divides. The commentary also said, and I always like this reminder, that we do need to consider this parable in the context of Matthew's entire gospel, in which, therefore, he pointed out, and I think very helpfully, the foolish bridesmaids cry to the bridegroom when they came finally back to the party with more oil, the cry, Lord, Lord, open to us, which the Lord did not do, is clearly an echo of a verse earlier in Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 7, verse 21, near the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, 
where he says, not all those who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father in heaven. Oops, wait a minute, chalk a point up for the Amos and James fringe, right? Faith without works isn't faith at all, it turns out. And then, of course, too, in this story, there are those lamps trimmed and burning, which also hearken back to another verse earlier in Matthew near the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. What do you know? Another point? for the Amos and James fringe? Gosh, maybe we keep plenty of our oil in our lamps is about good works, not faith. And, and Jesus, when he comes, will applaud our good works and reward us for them, and the reward will be heavenly. Except, of course, what? Except that Jesus doesn't say, let your light shine with good works so that others can see you and applaud you and reward you with glory. And it's also that I, when I come in my glory, can reward you with the glories of heaven. No, what he says rather is, let your light shine with good works so that others can see not you, but God. And the ways of God, the priorities of God, the kingdom of God, this side of heaven, alive and at work right here in the world, which God knows are needed. If this absolutely not perfect but sin-divided world is ever to be healed back to home, back to each other, and back to God. Those let your light shine words in Matthew's Gospel follow immediately the words with which Jesus did begin the Sermon on the Mount, the words of the Beatitudes, which we heard last week on All Saints Sunday, as Pastor Sarah powerfully invited us into the presence of those saints in our lives who surely weren't perfect, because at the end of the day, in the real world, world, saints are either sinners forgiven their sin or they are not saints at all, no exceptions, but who nevertheless did shine before us and beside us, each in their own ways, with faith, with works, and with sins forgiven. All of which are together and like lamps in the night with us and part of us and alive within us in our faith and our works and our sins forgiven. The Beatitudes, of course, do not say blessed are the pompous in spirit, but blessed are the poor in spirit. It does not say blessed are those who gloat above others, but blessed are those who mourn, including mourning for others. Not blessed are those who are hard-hearted, but blessed are those who are pure in heart. Not blessed are those who win, taking no prisoners along the way, but blessed are peacemakers who show the world a better way. And not blessed are you when, when you're popular, but blessed are you when you are persecuted or rejected or scorned for your willingness to follow Jesus even unto unpopular places or unpopular people or unpopular grace. All of which is to say that the Beatitudes are not about the way of the world, 
be it blue or red or purple. The Beatitudes are about the way of the cross, the way of Jesus. Which is to say that both letting your light shine and keeping your lamp filled are not a matter of either works or faith, but are rather both works and faith held together in the embrace of the works and faithfulness and grace of Jesus. One final point. Sin, as in not having enough oil for your lamp, is judged in this parable. But it is not the bridesmaids who judge. It is the bridegroom, which is to say, in our case, Jesus, who is the judge of all. And it is he, let us never forget, and let us never stop shining in the, news, in the dark with the news that it is he, the only judge we have, who alone and perfectly walked the way of the cross, where he, by the world, was judged guilty for the purpose of judging sinners by God forgiven so that your light shining and keeping your lamp filled might indeed not be a matter of either works or faith, but works and faith held together in the embrace of the works and faithfulness and amazing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.